If you've got a Bible, turn to Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We're going to be starting a brand new series this morning. It's going to be called Greater, and uh, Jesus is greater. Uh, Jesus is greater than anything you put next to him. Whatever he's compared to throughout time, throughout your life, throughout your suffering, throughout any experience you could ever have in your life, Jesus is greater no matter what. And we'll be in this series for a long time, Lord willing, uh, probably 35 to 40 sermons. I've never went through this uh, book because it takes a long time to get through it. A lot of things in Hebrews is, is tough. It's, uh, it's things you wrestle with, uh, things that we're going to wrestle with. Uh, it's a great book of the Bible. Uh, many people consider it one of the, the masterpieces of the New Testament. Uh, someone said it begins like an essay. Uh, it continues like a sermon, and it ends like a letter. So it gets you really, really deep. It exhorts you really well, and then it kind of it kind of smooths you back out towards the end. It kind of it kind of has a soothing tone towards the end of it. So an essay, a sermon, and like a letter. It's very unique. It's fascinating. Uh, it's kind of like wading out into the ocean where you're tracking along. And you think, I got this. This is pretty easy. This is practical. This is what I understand. This is what I know. And all of a sudden, the bottom falls out. And next thing you know, you're trying to get back to shore really quick, right? That's the way it is studying the book of Hebrews. It, it is very practical. It's very um, easy to read. And then sometimes you're like, wow, this is deep. This is like something that's very hard to understand. And, and you kind of get lost in it. And uh, it's, like I said, something that's going to be challenging, something that I'm not going to have all the answers for. I know you might uh, let you down to think that I don't have all the answers, but I don't. But I got good news. No one else does either. All right. There's no one who has all the answers. There's no one who says they know all the answers except God. If someone tells you this, hey, I got all of the Bible figured out. I got all the things to know in life all figured out. Uh, in the South, we just say, bless your heart, right? That's what we say. In our minds, we say their biscuits are kind of gooey in the middle. You know what I mean? Like they don't quite have it all together. Uh, and, and it's fine to wrestle with these things. And maybe even here this morning, you are wrestling with things in your life. You have questions about things. You have some revel, uh, reservations about things, about the Bible, about God, and that's okay circumstances in life and experiences through life sometimes bring us to that point. And I think more uh, than anything through this study, the exhortation is wherever you are, move forward. Wherever you find yourself, try to take the next step. Try to take that next step of faith. Trusting God enough that even if you're flat on your back, try to sit up. If you're sitting up, try to stand up. If you're standing up, try to walk. If you're walking, try to run. If you're running, try to sprint. You know, wherever you are, try to take that next step. Try to move forward wherever you are. Never give up the fight. Always try to pursue your faith in God. Always try to pursue and go forward, not backwards. Don't go back. Because whatever you're tempted to go back to is not greater than what you have in Jesus Christ. What you have in Jesus Christ is greater than anything you could ever go back to. And Hebrews as well here is unique because it doesn't identify an earthly writer. We have identified for most of the books of the Bible, or almost every one of them except this one, an earthly writer. There are some great guesses that scholars make. Some say it was traditionally Paul that wrote this. Um, some say it was Luke that wrote this. 
Some say it was Mark. Uh, some say it was Barnabas. And then some say it was Apollos. I am the Apollos category. I believe Apollos wrote this. I think he had the intellect. I think he had the style. Uh, the, the style of Greek here in the Hebrews is not 90% of the Greek words that you find here in this uh, study uh, through the study of Hebrews and the Greek uh, is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. That's one of the reasons why I don't think Paul wrote it. Paul wrote in a very common language of Greek, in a very certain dialect, in a certain manner and style. And uh, you don't see that in the book of Hebrews. You see something a lot deeper, a lot more classical, a lot more intellectual. And that's why I think it's Apollos. If you don't think it's Apollos, you can be wrong. That's okay. Uh, that's all right. I talked to Jamie this morning. He thinks it was Luke. That's fine. Uh, it could be Apollos. But, but one thing's for certain. Without question, this is the Word of God. That's the most important part. You know, we can have different writers, but the author is God. We know that. We know this is Scriptures. It's inspired. It was God-breathed. It was from the Word of God. And as we read through it, we realize it's congruent. The message in it is the same as throughout all the other books of the Bible. And even though we may not know the earthly writer, we know the author was certainly God. And when you think about our Bible, what a powerful Word of God we have, right? 66 books, you know, over 40, around 40 uh, authors from different backgrounds, three continents, over 1,500 years. And we've taken this collection together. We've put it together of all these different types of people. We have people like Isaiah, who was a prophet. We have people like Ezra, who was a priest. We have people like Matthew, who was a tax collector. We have John, who was a fisherman, and Paul, who was a tent maker, and Moses, who was a shepherd, Luke, who was a, a doctor or a physician, penned all these years over 15 centuries, and we find one congruent message about the one and true God and about the Savior, Jesus Christ. What a message we have. What a, what a, what a treasure we have in God's Word. And for me personally, it's comforting because when I go to God's Word, I know it can speak to my life. I know I can hear from God. I know it is His written revelation to me. And it also gives me confidence as a pastor to be able to stand up here and confidently proclaim to you to check it out, to read it, to go home and test it, to, to look at it in your life. And I know it stands and I'm confident it stands because it was not written by man. It was authored by God. It is the Word of God. We should treasure it. That's why you need a copy of the Bible. That's why you should study your Bible. That's why you should mark your Bible. That's why even if you have a phone or you have an iPad, you should have the Bible app on it to read it, to know it, to consume it. It is God's Word. That is one reason we study the book of Hebrews. Another reason we study the book of Hebrews is it's intended to be an encouragement. We realize that these people were in extreme suffering and pain, and it's meant to encourage them. It's encouraging them to move forward. Uh, Hebrews 13, 22 says, I appeal to you, brethren, the last chapter, bear with the word of exhortation. That means take it and put it to work in your life to move you forward, to encourage you. Hebrews 6, 1 says, leaving, uh, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. The word perfection means maturity, but the most important phrase there is let us go on. Let us push forward. Let us move together. And listen, as Christians, we must realize and we must understand in our life, not everything's going to be sunshine and roses. Not everything's going to be something you can control. And let me tell you, those who like to control everything, we realize there are some things outside of our control. 
And you can tell those who really like to control and like to put things in a box, they're probably taking notes right now. And they got bullet points and they got numbering systems and they got headlines and they got all these things, right? And it really, really messes with people who like control when they realize some things happen in your life that's not in your control. And they get outside of your control and you may not desire them, you may not want them, but they come to your life. They happen. And listen, there's a drift in Western Christianity that being a Christian means that you will never experience hard or difficult times. We have bestseller books called Your Best Life Now. We have bestseller uh, understandings of you be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We have those who will say, be a Christian. You're going to be loved by all and liked by all. Man, that sounds good to me, right? Sign me up for that. I want all that. Trust me, I would love to believe that was true. But unfortunately, what we find out through life experiences, that's just not true. That is not true in experiences, and it's not true with what Scripture says. Because what we realize is people who love Jesus struggle with finances. People who love Jesus struggle with health. People who love Jesus get cancer. People who love Jesus loses loved ones. People who love Jesus face trials and persecutions. People who love God uh, get hurt and they're done wrong. People who love God have children who have problems and issues. And unfortunately, those who believe this health and wealth style Christianity, when hard times hit, when difficult times comes, it shocks them. And it shakes their faith. And they're, they're, not on, they're not on solid ground. And they realize that as they suffer, they begin to wonder, is there a God? Does He care about me? Why, why is Jesus Christ not helping me? I thought becoming a Christian gave me a pass on all this hard stuff in life. But listen, the experiences of life bring you to the conclusion this will happen. And times will come and you will struggle. But the message of Christianity is to push forward. That whatever you experience and whatever you go through is to keep moving towards God because Jesus is greater and the, 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 the conclusion is going to be greater and better than anything you can have of this world. And we may not immediately see it, but eventually we will see it as the kingdom of Christ comes and Jesus conquers and we will as well. But until that day, until that happens, you need to strive. You need to put one foot in front of the other. You need, to, you need to keep pushing forward regardless of your circumstances and your trials. And every wedding that I do as a pastor, I love to share uh, Matthew chapter 7, which is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He gives uh, an illustration of two foundations. He says in verse 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the flood came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see this? Two types of people, but one thing in common. Both types of people, the rain descends, the flood comes, and the winds beat on that house. Whether you obey God or you don't obey God, whether you think you're the best Christian or the worst Christian, whether you don't believe in God or whether you don't want anything to do with Christianity, whether, wherever you are in this life, one thing's going to be certain. The rains are going to come, the floods are going to come, and the winds are going to come. The question is, what is your foundation? 
Because Jesus says if your foundation is on the sand, when it beats on it, it's going to crumble. And great will be, it, great will be the fall. Uh, but yet if your foundation is on Jesus Christ and it's upon His Word and it's upon the faith and trust in Him, then when the rains descend and the winds come and, the, and it beats on the house and it beats on your life, that it will stand because it's founded upon Jesus Christ. And the greatest question of life The greatest question that comes out of Hebrews is, who is your foundation? What is your foundation? Is your foundation made of sand? We think about some things people build their foundation on made of sand. Is it built upon religion? Do you feel or believe that you can work your way to God? Do you feel like you can attempt to reach God somehow? Or do you feel like maybe I've just got to be a good person And if I'm a good person, more good things will happen to me than bad. Listen, it doesn't work out that way. Maybe you're building on material possessions. Whatever happens in my life, I can buy my way out. I can have my own things. I can do my own stuff. But there's going to be a time when someone looks at you and say, there's nothing else we can do that you're going to die. You're going to leave this world. And then what will money buy you? It will buy you nothing. Sometimes we say it's popularity. It's relationships. All those things are sand. And all those things will fall. And all those things, there's nothing that you should not build your life upon. The foundation is the rock. And when you build it upon Jesus Christ, He is greater. He is greater than the winds. He is greater than the rain. He is greater than the floods. And because we have the foundation of Jesus Christ, we can move forward. We can trust by faith in Him. We can walk that walk. That's the challenge of Hebrews. Historically speaking, these believers here, in the context they were, they were in a dark time in history. They were in the beginning of when the Christianity was spreading, and many of these were Jewish believers. They had known the ways of Judea's system. They knew the Jewish ways, but they had come to this faith in Christ, or what they understood to be the gospel message. And they had turned from their old ways, and they began to say they were Christians. But as they said they were becoming Christians, all of a sudden there was a great opposition Uh, All of a sudden, families were coming against them. The government started to come against them. Rulers and kings started killing them and martyring them and telling them that they were all wrong. And then comes the suffering. And then comes the pain. And it comes the heartache. And they looked to the message and they said, wait a minute. We didn't sign up for this. We heard about salvation and we heard about heaven. And we heard about the good, happy by and by. But we're in the nasty now and now. This is not what we signed up for. We'll be better off to go back to be Jews. We'll be better off to go back and just believe that this Jesus was not the Messiah, that he was not the coming one, that this message is not really what we want. And they were wanting to turn back. And some of them were. They actually had organized groups of people going around deprogramming Christians who were Jewish people who became Christians. And they were trying to deprogram them to bring them back into a good understanding of what the Jews had to say about God. And, you know, without question today, that's the way we feel sometimes with discouragement and temptations we face. There are those today that has gone through extremely rough and tough times. And it's difficult. And we live in a tough time. And we live in a time to where we are persecuted. And we live in a time where we have uh, facing many times of trials and pain. I think about just the last several years in people's life and me as a pastor. Over 15 years, the last three years have been the toughest of my 15 years. It's been tough because of the persecutions and trials that I see people who I love, that love God that goes through. 
I see them go through health crises. We've faced a major health crisis in just our country and our world. And even those who we know that's passed away in several years and had very serious health problems. We know that our children are facing things in their life in their schools at early ages are having extreme anxiety and social struggles like never before. And we look to them in their life and we look to them as children. We say, why are they suffering? Why are they dealing with this anxiety? We see those who are Christians who are persecuted for their beliefs and they're persecuted by systems and organizations and even the government to say, you don't have a right. You don't have a seat at the table to say you believe in God, to say you believe in the design of marriage and family and all the rest. That it's an attack on that. It's an attack on children. And those also as well tying in now to economic troubles. I mean, you look to your bank account. You look to your retirements. And you see it shrinking away. And you see the cost of living and food and energy. And how gas has skyrocketed. Anybody got their power bill this month? I'll wait for you guys. Those who have, you probably say, oh my, right? And the cost of food, cost of energy. Are we going to make it? Can we survive? And guess what? All those things, just because you're a Christian, you don't get a free pass. You don't get to stand up and say, wait a minute, God, I didn't sign up for that. I'm here for the healthy by and by. I'm here for my best life now. No. And when we do face those things, the temptation is to go back on our commitment with God. The temptation is to say, why give up the why? Why fight it? Why not just give up? Why not just follow the crowd? Why not just go back to the old way? Because it's easier and it's, e- it's easier to do it that way. Let's just go the way of the world. But Hebrews comes and it says, and it's going to tell us in this series, go on, don't turn back. Wherever you are, Jesus is greater than any suffering. And on the surface, the short term is the answer to go back. And it may look like it may work, but it doesn't. In the long run, Jesus is greater. And if you persevere and you go through and you push through these things, you're going to see a glorious change in your life. And the exhortation is defined in this book is Jesus is greater. He is greater than anything and everything we could ever turn back to. And in the book of Hebrews here, we see he's going to say Jesus is greater than the priest. Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Jesus is greater in his resurrection that no one else could resurrect themselves from the dead. Jesus is greater in his salvation that no one has paid the price for your sins like Jesus. Jesus is greater in your destiny and your future as a Christian. That one day you will reign with God and you'll live in heaven with him. He is greater than all that. And whatever you are tempted to go back to, don't fall away. It's not worth it. Push forward and it will be worth it all. It's not easy, but it's going to be worth it if you persevere. Most of you know that I love sports and the sport that I love the most is football. Growing up, I played football in high school and college. Uh, Mostly I played tailback. You guys know what the tailback position is? I know what you're thinking. There's no way he ever played tailback. But every time I ran on the field, the coach would say, get your tailback to the bench. That's what he would tell me. So that's how I learned how I played tailback. But anybody who plays football and knows that the hardest part about, hardest part about football is preseason. Everyone's excited to say I'm on the team. Who's not excited to get a cool-looking jersey, right? To wear it around school to say, hey, I'm a football player. Look at me to get your name in the paper or to see the crowd all pumped up and chanting your name or maybe when you score a touchdown or maybe when you get a sack or interception and winning games and everybody is there and they're looking and it's cool and everybody can do that. But before that happens comes the preseason. Before that happens comes camp. And man, I hated preseason. I hated preseason because basically you practice like dogs. I mean, literally, you were worked to death. You had to condition and you had to run. 
And you know, linemen, we don't like to run, right? And you had to do down and backs. You had to do sprints. And on top of that, we had what you call two-a-days. Like one practice wasn't enough. You had to do two practices in one day. And you got it. The second practice, they pick around two or three o'clock, the hottest part of the day. And I thought Florida was bad. Then I went to middle Alabama and realized that's a whole nother hot in the middle of the summer. In the middle of a field in Alabama, it was extremely hot. And there was always that one crazy coach. Do it again. Run another sprint. He didn't run hard enough. He didn't do this hard enough. And, and, and as you can tell, as you go through these things, you do it over and over and over again. And you're suffering and you're going through this process. And all of a sudden you start seeing kids quit. And more kids quit in the preseason than ever did in the season, ever. And during that time, we used to call it the midnight train because when we get up from school the next morning or for practice the next morning, we'd look and there was started off over 200 people. And by the end of the camp, we'd be down to about 75 people. And all of a sudden they'd say, you know what? This is not worth it. I'm going hunting. I'm going fishing. I'm going, to, I'm going back home to be with my mama, right? And that was a temptation. And trust me. When they said, run it one more time, I was like, I'm going home to see my mama. I'm going home to get her cooking. I'm going home to hunt. I'm going home to practice. And in your mind, it was constantly there. Quit. Don't keep moving forward. Just go home. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But as a freshman, it's devastating. But by the time you got to be a senior, you knew the game. You knew that what was going to happen. And you knew if you just persevered through the preseason, the season would eventually come. It finally would come to an end. And then you would get the jersey. And then you would get to see the crowd. And then you would get to be able to go out and play. But although all through that process as well, the joy and the happiness of being on the team was greater than the suffering and the pain you endured in the preseason. Unless you was me like my freshman year in college. I thought we was the greatest team there ever was. We thought we was going to go out and just blow everybody out. I mean, we were the toughest, the baddest, the best team you ever imagined. The first game we played, we lost 77 to 7. How is that even possible? 11 touchdowns, all right? And we got to work that afternoon. We went back to, to, to practice that afternoon. We practiced six more days, and the coach says, all right, now we're ready, and we're going to go out there and win this game. And we lost 63 to nothing. I was like, oh, my goodness. Man, talk about suffering and enduring pain. But it, the, the season as well is where the victory was. And, and yet, what you realize was you couldn't experience the victory if you didn't push through the tough times. If you didn't survive the preseason. If you didn't keep with the team. If you didn't stay moving forward. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's an exhortation wherever you are. Wherever you are. When you hear about the message of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the home in heaven, and you think about all the things that comes with being a Christian, but then on the other part of that, you realize as well that you don't get a free pass. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations, but you must endure. You must suck it up and you must dig down deep and you must turn back because if you don't turn back, you will get the reward. Eventually, the victory will come and through perseverance and trusting in God and believing on Jesus Christ, the joy will come. And the greater Jesus is greater than any pain you can go through. And Jesus is greater than any trinket this world has to offer. Think about it. Every tear that you shed every pain that you have, every sorrow you endure, every painful goodbye, every death that you've experienced with a loved one, every heartache will one day fade away in the presence of Jesus forever. Think about it. Don't miss that. That's what Hebrews is saying. Don't miss that. 
Now, all that was my introduction. You ready for the message today? All right. I know that was long. You're thinking we're going to be here for two hours, but we're not. I see the clock up there, and I already went through it with the early service, so I know I, I got it. But listen, we, we think about this introduction to this series, but I want you to think about this in your mind. I want you to read through this book, and I want you to understand that's the encouragement. Push through. Jesus is greater than anything you could go back to in this world. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're only going to cover two verses this morning. It says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also, through whom also he made the world. So you see right here in this opening verses of this book, three basic things that's going to carry us through all of Hebrews. This is going to carry us through all of Hebrews. It's going to carry you through all of your life and all of your sufferings and all of your trials. You got to remember these three things. These are three things that's going to be part of your life and part of your experience and your walk with faith that's going to help you push through to make it, to keep going, to keep uh, doing it. The first one is this, God exists. Number one, God is real. He exists. And when we talk about a worldview, we talk about our view of suffering, we talk about our view of trials, we talk about the view we just talked about, we must look at it in the context of understanding there is a God, that God does exist. You realize in the Bible, nowhere does it attempt to prove there's a God. It just begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it ends with God created the new heaven and the new earth. And all in between, it just says God. And that's it. We could leave Hebrews right here to understand, and it's declared to be true, that it is all God. God is God. He is real. You know why the reason why it doesn't defend or doesn't declare or try to explain there's a God? Because we know it. It is proven. It is real. God exists. Many people try to prove that God doesn't exist. It's not possible. Many people just try to ignore that God exists. That's not possible either. Some just try to hide the truth that God exists. That's not possible as well. You know why? Because He does exist. He is real. And the reality of understanding the Bible and what we consider our worldview or what we consider the view of sufferings, what we consider the view of salvation, what we consider the view of heaven and hell, what we consider about God's word, it all comes with the first and foremost foundational truth. God is real. He does exist. And so when we look to the world and we teach our children about the world and we teach our children about suffering, we teach our children about persecution, we teach our children about Jesus, we teach our children about the things of God, we start with this this one basic truth. God exists. And listen, one thing's solid and one thing must be true from beginning to end. There is a God. And one thing that's the biggest temptation when you go through trials and temptations and you go through your some extreme suffering, the first trap that will be set is there is no God. There is no God. And if there is a God, or why is there no God? He doesn't even care who you are, and there's no reason to believe that there's a God. That's the first thing. As we look to Hebrews, we must realize foundation number one, there is a God. He does exist. Foundation number two, we see that not only is there a God, but He has revealed Himself that he cares enough to reveal himself to you. You don't understand God. God has understood you. You don't reach God. God has reached you. That God has revealed himself. Now, there's, like I said, there's many views when it comes to God. Some people say God's the atheist. There is no God. Some people say he's agnostic. We don't know if there's a God or not. 
He's just, we don't really care. We're going to live our life. And there's others called deists who say there is a God, but he just don't care. He created the world. He put it into place and he walked away. Those who grew up in the 70s, uh, this was the hippie theology. God tuned in, God turned on, and God tuned out. That's what they said back in the hippie days. And, and that's a deist. The statement right here, though, is that God did exist. We already realized that. But it also says that God chose to reveal himself. It is not us who chose to find God. It was God who cared, who loved, who proved us enough to say he wanted to reveal himself to us. He wanted to. He wants you to know him. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to have this revelation of who God is in your life. So God does exist and he wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in who you are and what you do. If you could imagine with me a piece of paper and on that paper represents eternity. You know how big eternity is? Someone said if you could take eternity and stretch it out uh, from beginning to end, how long would you think your natural life, what kind of dot or what kind of line do you think you could make on that schedule of eternity? Well, on that line or that piece of paper, let that represent all there is to God and all there is in the universe and all there isn't to be of the supernatural world. And then draw your little box in that, line, in that book or in that piece of paper. And inside that box, that is your life. You know, you have a day that you were born and you're going to have a day that you die. There is a natural life that you're going to have. We live in the natural world. You are here this morning. It's 1122. We're in a building off 5845 State Road 16. You have a body. You have a belief. You have a heart. You have blood. This is your reality of your physical life. Your life exists inside this box. Outside of that box is God. Now, how in the world do you get God inside your box? Is it able for you to tear that box open and let God in? Is it a possibility that you can reach God somehow? Is it a possibility that you can think your way to God? Is there a possibility that you can reason your way to God understanding who you are? No, that's not possible. Because when we try religion, we try to reach God. We can't reach God. We can't make that contact. Sometimes we try by good work. Sometimes we try by psychology. Some people try by meditation. Some people try by all these other ways. But listen, you cannot know God until God knows you. And God wants to know you. And the fact of the matter is, if you're here this morning, you've never known God, or you don't know God and who you are in your conscience, let me tell you, the revelation of God stands true for all people. You live in this natural world, but God wants to be involved in your life. He wants to know you. He has revealed himself, and he wants to know you. That's point number two. Foundation number one is that there is a God. Foundation number two is that he cares for your life, and he wants to be involved in your life. Foundation number three is how that happens. The door to your box is Jesus Christ. The door to your box is Jesus Christ. How does God get into your box? Through Jesus Christ. Look at this here. It says, in various ways, at various times, God has spoken. But in these last days, He has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ. The word in the Greek here means like a finality word. It doesn't mean so much like a spreading of time, but it means like the final say. The, the final revelation from God to prove that He wants a relationship with you was through His Son, Jesus Christ. Doesn't this fit the picture for the Jewish people? What he's telling them is, you've seen God in the burning bush through Moses. You've seen God through the covenant with Abraham. You have seen God through all these various ways in the Old Testament. And you know, we went through five stories in the Old Testament. It's really interesting when you study the Old Testament. It's really cool to see part of these pictures and then to know the end of the story. That all those things are a picture of Jesus Christ in the future. 
And God has given them pits and, uh, bits and pieces and partial revelations through, through these sundry times and various places, through various ways. And we read how God revealed Himself on Mount Sinai. And God revealed Himself, like I said, through Abraham and through David and through Joseph and through dreams, through all these ways. But now He comes and says, my final revelation, my final understanding for you to know there is a God. He wants to be involved in your life. And how, did he, how does He open the door? Through my Son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken His final word through Jesus Christ. And through Him we can know God. That's the final revelation from God to man. You know what I always say? God saved the best for last, right? God didn't give us the leftovers. He didn't give us the second plan. This is the plan of God and His final revelation and its complete view is that Jesus Christ is the door. He is the way. And when you're tempted to think there is no God, there is a God. When you're tempted to think He doesn't want anything to do with your life, He does want to have something to do with your life. And when you're tempted to think that God doesn't love you, or He doesn't care for you, or He's not for you, you can always look to Jesus Christ and say, God is for me, and He wants me to know Him. The Bible says this, God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. That word demonstrated, you know what that means? That word means proved. That means that if you ever doubt that God has a purpose and plan for your life, you can look to the cross of Jesus Christ and His final revelation to you is that you are, you are, you are uh, important to me. You are a, a part of my uh, journey and my life and you can have faith in me because I've given the very best to you. I have given you the revelation of Jesus Christ and when you find my son, his, the Jesus Christ, you found it all. And no matter what you're tempted to give up, no matter what you're tempted to go back to, no matter what you're tempted to believe, know that the cross of Jesus Christ is stand, has stood out through history. The, all of the Old Testament, all of the old saints are going to read here in Hebrews. It says that they looked into and they, cured, they were curious about the coming of Christ. And yet now as we look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and we see the price that He paid without question, we know that God loves us and He cares for us because we have the visible representation of Him to this world, which was Jesus Christ. I mean, what a message. And listen, whatever you have in this world, whatever you face on this world, you could always go and say that God loved me and He wanted to be in my life and He proved it. He didn't just say it, He proved it because He revealed Himself in the greatest way possible. And He gave the greatest sacrifice to ever give. Greater than any priest of the Old Testament. Greater than any payment of blood throughout the whole world. Greater than any religion could ever offer. He give His very best in Jesus Christ. And because He has given His best, I can trust Him at my worst. I can trust Him in my deepest pain. I can trust Him in my darkest hour. I can trust Him in the heartaches and pains of life because in, the, in Hebrews as well, we're going to learn that once Christ is in your life, He never leaves you and He never forsakes you. And I don't know where you're at, but maybe you're at the very end, at the very bottom, and it's the darkest time of your life that you've ever had. But I can tell you, when you get to that point, Jesus is there with you. He's there with you. He may, not, he may not rescue you from your circumstances, but He will take your hand and He will walk with you every step of the way, whatever you face. And maybe it's in your marriage. 
Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's within your health. And maybe it's in the days when you know that your days are numbered and you're going to be meeting God one day. He will be right there and he will walk every step of the way. The promise of Hebrews is not you're going to have an easy life. Not that you're never going to suffer. Not that you're ever going to have pain. The promise of Hebrews is that we have the real thing in Jesus Christ. There is a God. And there's no denying that. You can try to deny it. You can try to suppress it. You can try to ignore it. But the reality is there is a God. And there is a reality that God has a plan and a purpose and a meaning for your life. And He wants to reveal Himself to you. And that is a fact of matter. You didn't look for God. God looked for you. God has a plan for you. God created you. The world didn't begin with you. It began with God. And He has a plan and He wants to get in your box. He wants to get in your life. And that he so much proved it by giving Jesus Christ the final word. And as you go through these things and you process these things in your life, you know nothing in this world can be greater than that. Nothing, nothing in this world. And so whatever you face and whatever you go through, you can always go back to those three things and say, does God love me? Yes. Look what he did with Jesus Christ. Does God exist? Yes, he does. And we know that he created the worlds and he has a plan for my life. Does he want to know me? Yes, because I'm in this physical time and space. But yet there's a supernatural part of this life that God wants to be involved in my life. And and yes, God will be with us every step of the way. And so back to the main question we ask, even in the introduction, ask yourself, who is your foundation? Who's your foundation? Listen, if you build your life and your work and your work on yourself, it's not going to last very long. If you built your life and your world upon a religion, Listen, if you are Baptist and you don't know Jesus, you're not going to make it. If you're Presbyterian, you don't know Jesus, you're not going to make it. If you're Catholic and you don't know Jesus, you're not going to make it. Whatever you call yourself, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have him in your heart personally, you're not going to make it because his final revelation is through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church. It doesn't matter if you like me or you don't like me. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is, do you know his son? That's where he spoke through. It's through Jesus Christ. And is he the foundation of your life? Because I can promise you the rain's going to come. The floods are going to come. The wind's going to come. And it's going to beat on your life. And even through life, as you get to the end of it, you're going to realize, what did I build my life upon something that's going to last? Something that's going to carry me through eternity for the rest of eternity. If you found it, if you built it upon Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. That's what Hebrews says. Yes. It's yes. And whatever you're facing right now, get up, keep walking, keep trying, keep pushing forward because it's going to be worth it. It's worth it because Jesus is greater than anything we can have in this world. Let's pray together this morning.